Well, today, it seems we're going to take a little break from Romans and we're going to talk about the, about the incarnation of Christ. I know that for so much of the world, not everywhere and every, every place because of different religions and things that are out there, many people, especially here in the United States, what's the big thing? Christmas, Christmas, and, and, and what's coming up. And so I pray that the children of God can take the opportunity to share the love of Christ and of why He came. And this I know, that among Christian brothers and sisters, there is a multitude of different thoughts and ideas about Christmas. I know that. And uh, can we have a tree? Should we have a tree? Uh, should we give gifts? Um, just a multitude of things. And, and uh, there was a... Let's see if I can find it. I, I wrote it down. Uh, the, the quote from St. Augustine. Because when you get into matters of of what, what does the Word of God say? There's a lot of things that we can't find real clarity in the Word of God. And so Augustine said this, or Augustine, never how you want to say it. I think he said it best. He said, in essentials, unity. In non-essentials, liberty. But in all things, charity or love. And isn't that good? That in the matters of essentials and fundamentals in regard to salvation, we must have unity. Because the Word of God is very clear. But in non-essentials, let's be gracious and kind to one another. Can we do that? And speak to one another in charity and love. And so, uh, today we're, we're going to I want to begin with this. I've read, I went back in some old notes and I've read this before, but a lot of times, you know, Scotty or Brian or different ones will read Spurgeon quotes and, and I have read several, um, in regard to particular sermons and, and I, there's this quote from a sermon that Charles Spurgeon preached on December 24th, 1871 at the Metropolitan Tabernacle. And I can tell just by reading this sermon that he had been bombarded with all the same questions that I've heard throughout the years regarding the different traditions of Christmas and all these different things. And up until this point where I'm going to read this quote, he had been talking about some things that I've talked about quite often, in particular when we have uh, communion. He he talked about the Roman Catholic connection to Christmas. Christmas. Christ Mass. Christ Mass. And you've heard me talk, especially in regard to communion time, of, of what I believe is the heresy of the Mass, that, that prayer of the priest, the prayer of transubstantiation, where, where the priest says this prayer, and the cup turns into actual blood of Christ, and the bread becomes the actual body of Christ. To, to me, there is no biblical 
refer- reference that they can back that up and hold to that. They have some, but they don't hold up. So to me, it, it, it's heresy. And, and Spurgeon says he abhors the mass. And, and I would agree. But as, as I said, in the United States of America, where I live and where I'm a citizen on this earth, December 24th is called Christmas, and that's what I'm going to call it. And here's what uh, Spurgeon said and uh, in regard to December 25th and the sermon that he was preaching that day in regard to the incarnation of Christ. Quote, Nevertheless, since the current of men's thoughts is led this way just now, and, and, and again, this is language from 1870s. So what's he saying? Since the current of men's thoughts is led this way, since this is what's on people's minds right now, and can, can we say that here in America, that for so many people, what's on their mind, how often do you go up to someone and what's the first question you get this time of year? What's the first question you get? Are you ready for Christmas? And that's what's on everybody's mind. That's the conversation. And so Spurgeon says, Nevertheless, since the current of men's thoughts is led this way just now, I see no evil in the current itself. So I shall launch the boat of my discourse upon that stream, that current of thought, and make use of the fact, the fact that this is what people is talking about, you see, which I shall neither justify nor condemn by endeavoring to lead your thoughts in the same direction since it is lawful and even laudable, laudable, admirable, commendable, to meditate upon the incarnation of the Lord upon any day of the year, it cannot be in the power of other men's superstitions to render such a meditation improper for today. Remember, he's preaching this on Christmas Eve. It says, regarding not the day, let us nevertheless give God thanks for the gift of his dear son. End quote. And I keep going back to that because he, he said it so well. Not regarding the day. Paul talked about regarding days, didn't he? And esteeming this day. Some esteems this day. Some esteems the other day. Paul talked about that. He talked about food. He talked about all kinds of different things. But this to me, to me, and again, not regarding the, the day, But to me, the three most important days of world history ever is the birth of Christ, the death of Christ, and the resurrection of Christ. To me, the three most important days ever, the birth, the death, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And so as it Is it ever wrong to talk about any of those three things? Of course not. Of course not. So as Spurgeon said, with the current of men's thoughts on Christmas, may we endeavor to speak biblical truth. So many people are celebrating a holiday, and that's all it is to them, and they know nothing of Christ. So I've always been of the thought, why not use 
the thoughts of men that they're, they're on. And as best I can, as the Lord would give me opportunity to share the truth of Jesus Christ. And that's what He has said. Because here's the important question. Why did He come? Why the incarnation? And the incarnation, that's, that's God coming to earth. Why? We've, we've been in the book of Romans. So are, <laughs> have we been learning a lot of the reasons why? Why He came? We're going to read a passage from Romans 3 if you want to turn there. But as, as we're doing that, let, let's pray one more time even before we continue any further. Heavenly Father, I, I just pray, come, pour out Your Holy Spirit upon us. Father, help me to not get on a soapbox. Help me not just to spew my opinions and thoughts. But Lord, let Your Word speak. And Father, may we all learn more of You and of why Christ came so that we may tell the truth to others who are living in this lost and dying world. So Father, help us, I pray. And it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen. Well, let's go Romans 3. We're going to start with, just read a little passage from verse 21 and then we're going to be going in a lot of different uh, passages today. Uh, beginning in verse 21, and, and know this, that, that that Paul had already set so many things up before we get to this point. He'd already said, there is none righteous, no, not one. He'd already been there. He'd already stated that, that all the world is guilty before God because of sin. He'd already established that. He, he's establishing that all, and and a lot of who he's talking to is the Jews. That's to all of us, but he's talking to the Jews. You can't hide behind your Jewishness, if I could say it that way. He's talking about sin, and we're going to talk more of that in a little bit. And so now we're here in verse 21, and I want to read down through 26. It says, but now the righteousness of God apart from the law is revealed, is made manifest, you see, being witnessed by the law and the prophets even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ to all and on all who believe. There's that, there's that phrasing again, who believe. And, and I ask that question, I'll probably ask it again today. For there's no difference for all. This, this is all. This is everybody on the face of the planet who has ever lived except Jesus Christ who was perfect because he was not born of the seed of Adam, correct? He was born of God. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, being justified freely by His grace through the redemption that is in Jesus Christ. So the justification is only, only, there is no other way to God the Father, only through Jesus Christ. Verse 25 whom God set forth as a propitiation by His blood. Who He set forth. Who He sent. As a propitiation by His blood through faith to demonstrate His righteousness because of His forbearance, God had passed over the sins that were previously committed 
to demonstrate at the present time his righteousness that he might be just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Jesus came. Oh, when the, the lyric, uh, we sang a song that, that talked about that. Came to the earth that he created. You ever think about that? The creator of this world, this solar system, this universe, this... You see, we, we have a, just a glimpse because of the Hubble telescope, because of all the, 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 the science and technology that, that has been gained. We have, we have a glimpse of the vastness of God's creation, do we not? It's, it's enormous. We, we can't fathom light years of distance. And yet the God that spoke all of that into existence came to this microscopic speck, earth. Can you fathom that? He came. And why did He come? Why did He come? That He might provide redemption, righteousness, justification. That He might be the propitiation for my sin and your sin. That's why He came. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. Galatians 4, 4 and 5. But when the fullness of the time had come, God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. When the fullness of time had come, <laughs> when the completion of the period of preparation in God's sovereign timetable of redemption had come. This is all in God's timetable. When the law had fully accomplished its purpose in showing man his utter sinfulness and his inability to live up to God's perfect standard of righteousness. God in His sovereign timing ushered in a new era of redemption. Why did He come? To redeem those who were under the law. To purchase them again. Back again. I think Romans 8 verses 3 and 4 explain it pretty well. We could go there. Romans 8 verses 3 and 4. Listen to this. So talking about He came to redeem those who were under the law. Now what did Paul say about the law here now in Romans 8? For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, what, what could the law not do? Redeem us. There is no redemption in the law because no one can keep it perfectly. For what the law could not do and that it was weak through the flesh, we didn't have the strength to keep it and couldn't keep it. God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of what? Say it. Sin. 
Why did Jesus come? On account of sin. What's Christmas all about? Sin. That wouldn't be real popular at the family gathering, would it? Let, let's let's listen to the little Charlie Brown thing. And and I am so thankful it's there. Do they still even air that? They, they probably don't even air that anymore because it's got scripture in it. I, I, I'm so thankful that years ago, it was in the 60s, that Charles Schultz put his foot down and said, you leave that scripture in there or we're not doing it. Aren't you thankful? Reading scripture, I love that. For what the law could not do, and that it was weak through the flesh, God did by sending His own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh on account of sin. He condemned sin in the flesh. Why? That the righteous requirements of the law might be fulfilled in us who do not walk according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And we've talked over the last several weeks and months, of we're talking identity. Those who are born again, born of the Spirit, instead of just those who are still only in the flesh, only still nothing more than a child of Adam, we who are born again are a child of God because of the Spirit of adoption, His child, join heirs with Christ. See, and like, like all others who had been born under the law, Jesus fulfilled the law living in perfect obedience, and he satisfied the righteous requirements of the law. <laughs> and by his perfect sacrifice upon the cross, he gave his life, he shed his blood, as the once and forever perfect sacrificial lamb, and provided a way of redemption for all who would believe. Aren't you thankful? Aren't you thankful he came? You know, there's an old song from years ago, Rusty Goodman wrote, uh, Born to Die. That's, a, that's why I came. That's why I came. Christ was born to die, that He would go to the cross. Look at Mark 10th chapter, verse 45. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. Why did he come? Why did he come? To give his life a ransom. That's why he came. In Matthew 18, verse 11. For the Son of Man has come to save that which was lost. You see, sin had separated God and man. The, the, the great gulf, the rich man, the poor man, the, the gulf that was <laughs> between them. But Jesus came to be born to die. And it's as though, that yeah, I've never seen a picture in the image of, 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 the, of the great gulf because of sin and man and God, and here's the cross, and it comes down, and it bridges the great divide. And that's so true of what Jesus done. He came so that we may have a way 
to God the Father. The, the old, we didn't sing it today. Perhaps we'll sing it next Sunday. The, the old hymn, uh, Christian or Christmas hymn, Hark the Herald Angels Sing. Uh, Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. You, you get that? That's, that's great. That's why it came. To reconcile us to the Father. That's why it came. Jesus came to save sinners from wrath. In His mercy, grace, and love, He sent Christ to seek and to save those who were under judgment and wrath. What we sing the, the old hymn, quite often we do it on Communion Sunday, Chase, the, the first verse of that man of sorrows. Man of sorrows, what a name for the Son of God who came. Ruined sinners to reclaim. Hallelujah. What a Savior. That's why He came. And so in the midst of it all, that, that, that we would remember that He came. And for the child of God, our response would be, Hallelujah. What a Savior. What a Savior. Let's go to John. The Gospel of John. First chapter probably thought some point he's going there today and yes we are and we may go there again next sunday <laughs> john the first chapter I, th I think we're going to go through it's going to take us a little bit to get through it we're going to go through the first 14 verses and we're going to pause a little bit along the way as we're going john first chapter one through five in the beginning was the word Who's the Word? It's Christ. It's Jesus. And the Word was with God. And the Word was God. Now let's pause. Probably the, the clearest and most direct declaration of the deity of the Lord Jesus Christ right there. Now, you have been perhaps visited by some heretical groups that would want to come and try to twist the interpretation of this to fit their false doctrine. And in doing so, what they're doing to, for me is blaspheming the name of my Lord Jesus Christ. Because they're trying to tell me He's not God. He's a God. Little g. It's not the Word was a God. It's the Word was God, the, the deity of Jesus Christ is foundational and non-negotiable. John makes this abundantly clear in, in his second epistle. Let, let's drop down to that. I've got second John, I believe, just verses seven through eleven. Second John seven through eleven. Listen, listen to this and see if this fits some people today. For many deceivers have gone out into the world who do not confess Jesus Christ as coming in the flesh. This is a deceiver and an antichrist. Look to yourselves that we do not lose those things we work for, but that we may receive a full reward. Whatever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine, whoever transgresses 
and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. Now let me pause there for a minute. What did it just say? If you don't believe in the doctrine of Christ, that He is God incarnate, what does it mean? You don't have God. It's pretty simple there, isn't it? Whoever transgresses and does not abide in the doctrine of Christ does not have God. He who abides in the doctrine of Christ has both the Father and the Son. Because you remember Jesus had said in John 10, I and the Father are one. Verse 10, If anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, the doctrine of the deity of Christ, if anyone comes to you and does not bring this doctrine, do not receive him into your house, nor greet him. For he who greets him shares in his evil deeds. Pastor, that's pretty harsh. I didn't say it. I just read it. Okay? Is the deity of Christ important? Yes. It's, it's essential. And there must be unity on essentials. Let's go back to that. I'm going to reread verse 1 so you can start back there in verse 1. John, yeah. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him nothing was made that was made. In Him was life, and the life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. Let me pause there. We were all once darkness. You understand that, right? We were all dead in our trespasses and sins. We were all once in darkness. Christ came to shine light into darkness. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not comprehend it. And there's so much of the world today it is still the same. They do not comprehend the light. Huh. Verse 6. There was a man sent from God whose name was John. Now this is talking about John the Baptist. This man came for a witness to bear, came for a witness to bear witness of the light that all through him might believe. He, John the Baptist, was not the light, that light, but was sent to bear witness of that light. So John the Baptist was the forerunner of Christ. You've heard it said that way. He came to bear witness of who was to come. Verse 9, that was, that was the true light which gives light to every man coming into the world. He was in the world and the world was made through him and the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own did not receive him. I believe this was perhaps talking of the Jewish people. He came to his own. They didn't believe who he was. But as many as received him. Now we're listening to say amen. But as many as received him. To them. He gave the right to become children of God. To those who believe in his name. <laughs> who were born. Not of blood. Now understand what it's saying. We were all born with blood in our veins. Don't, don't take this to some ridiculous statement. What's he saying? Who were born not of blood. He's talking about race. 
He's talking about ethnic heritage. You, you see, the Jews were counting on this. That their heritage was going to get them to God. That if they were born a Jew, they were good to go. They didn't need to do anything. And there's some that still believe that falsehood today, and it's not true. They don't have a special deal. There's only one way to God the Father, and that's through Jesus Christ. Who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh. Now I take this to mean not of self-will, not of works. Maybe you want to say it that way, because it's by for for by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourself, the gift of God, not of works. You see, so it's it's not of blood, it's not of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man. And I take that to mean any man-made system, any false religion, any cult, any any false uh, religion that's out there, but of God. But as many as received Him, to them He gave the right to become children of God, to those who believe in His name, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Born of God, born of the Spirit, you see. And the Word became flesh. Again, who's the Word? If you didn't want to agree with me earlier, I believe you have to agree with me right here, don't you? That the Word is talking of Jesus Christ. The Word became flesh. Who became flesh? Jesus. And the Word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we beheld His glory, the glory as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word became flesh. The most concise biblical statement of the incarnation, the reality that God took on humanity, the infinite became finite, eternity entered time, the invisible became visible when the Creator entered His creation. Again, how can we begin to fathom such a thing? (laughs) Don't drive yourself crazy trying to imagine it. We accept it by faith. We accept it by faith. The Word of God says it. That settles it. That settles it. Some say, the Word of God says it. I believe it. That settles it. It doesn't matter if you believe it or not. If the Word of God says it, that settles it. That settles it. Matthew 1, verse 23. Behold, the virgin shall be with child and bear a son. And they shall call His name Emmanuel, which is translated, God with us. See, if you believe the Word of God, from cover to cover, that the Word of God is true, you must believe in the virgin birth. That Christ was not born of the seed of Adam, because that would just totally destroy the book of Romans, wouldn't it? was born of God and that Christ was born of a virgin. Let's go to Philippians, the second chapter. Verses 5 through 8. Talking of Jesus coming. Talking of Jesus, God coming to earth. Emmanuel, God with us. 
Paul said this in Philippians 2. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus, who being in the form of God, did not consider it robbery to be equal with God, but made of himself, but made himself of no reputation, taking the form of a bondservant, and coming in the likeness of men, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of the cross. That's a pretty good summary too, is it not? Of why he came. Of why he came. Jesus coming in the form of God. That word form means the exact likeness. Colossians 1 verse 15 talks of this. Colossians 1 verse 15. He, Christ, is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Is there any doubt from what the Word of God says that Jesus is the Son of God, that Jesus is God, and that He came to earth? The deity of Christ. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus came, Emmanuel, God with us, and He came to humble Himself, humble Himself. The Creator of everything humbled Himself to be born in a manger. In a manger. Emmanuel, God with us. Now here, I'll ask a different question. Uh, 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 here's a different question. Why did they seek to kill Jesus? Now, who did he claim to be? John 5, verse 18. Therefore, the Jews sought all the more to kill him, to kill Jesus. Why? Because he not only broke the Sabbath, but also said that God was his Father, making himself equal to God. Why were they out to kill him? Because to them, he was speaking blasphemy. They could not see, they could not hear, they could not understand the truth of who Jesus was. So Jesus came so that he might go to the cross, so that he might become the perfect once and for all time sacrifice for sin. That's kind of where we left off in Romans 6. He came once for all. Look at Hebrews first chapter, first three verses. God, who at various times and in various ways spoke in time past to the fathers by the prophets, has in these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom He has appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the worlds. Who being the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person, and upholding all things by the word of His power. Again, this talking of the deity of Christ and who He is. When He, by Himself, purged our sins, how did He do that? How did He purge our sins? By going to the cross, by dying on the cross, 
by Jesus Christ, our great high priest, as though he goes into the Holy of Holies and, and pours his own blood upon the mercy seat. And I take that, and I like that illustration because what happened to the veil after Christ died, it was torn and gone. No need for a priest ever to go in because Jesus, our great high priest, went through the veil for us. Shed His blood upon the mercy seat for us. Once and forever, never to have to be done again. Has these last days spoken to us by His Son, whom... He has appointed heir of all things through whom also He made the worlds who being in the brightness of His glory and the express image of His person and upholding all things by the word of His power when He had Himself purged our sins set down at the right hand of the majesty. And again, let me pause. What, what's that signifying? To have, to have set down at the right hand of the of, of majesty. That means it is finished. It is complete. The, the, the plan of redemption has, has been fit from the cross. Isn't that what Jesus said? It is finished. Sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high when He had by Himself purged our sins. Sit down at the right hand of the majesty on high. <laughs> verse John 3, verse 5. 1 John 3, verse 5, And you know that He was manifested, that He became visible, that He was revealed to us. Why? You know that He was manifested to take away our sins. And in Him there is no sin. Why did Jesus come? On account of sin. Let's let's read from Isaiah 53 this morning. Let's do that. Isaiah 53. Begin in verse 4. Surely He has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed Him stricken, smitten by God and afflicted. He paused. In, in reality, he was coming to do the Father's will. You see. Verse 5, but he was wounded for our transgressions. And if you'll allow me, you, you can keep reading there, but I always like to say, put yourself in the verse. Put yourself in these verses. To, to, to such the degree I would read this as this. But He was wounded for my transgressions. He was bruised for my iniquity. The chastisement for my peace was upon Him, and by His stripes I was healed. I had, like a sheep gone astray, I had turned to my own way, and the Lord laid on him my iniquity. Jesus came because of sin. Jesus, a sinless one, took upon himself my sin, child of God, your sin. 
He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He was led as a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he opened not his mouth. He was taken from prison and from judgment, and who will declare his generation? For he was cut off from the land of the living, for the transgressions of my people he was stricken. And they made his grave with the wicked, but with the rich at his death, because he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. It pleased the Lord to crush his only begotten son. How could that please the Lord? Because of the result that would come from it. That it would bring many sons and daughters to himself. That's why. That's why. Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief. When you make his soul an offering for sin, he shall see his seed. He shall prolong his days, and the pleasure of the Lord shall prosper in his hand. He shall see the labor of his soul and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant shall justify many, for he shall bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will divide him a portion with the great, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul unto death, and he was numbered with the transgressors. And he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. This was prophesied, this was written some 600 years before Christ. Jesus would become an intercessor, an intercessor for the transgressors, for sinners. the once final complete sacrifice for sin and and we probably read this last sunday i don't i don't recall now but i think we went into hebrews last sunday in, in talking of communion let's 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 just read it one more time if we did let's read it again <laughs> is it good that we remind ourselves of this yes it is yes it is Hebrews, the 10th chapter, let's read 7 through 14. Then I said, Behold, I have come. In the volume of the book it is written of me to do your will, O God. Who, who came to do the will of God? Jesus Christ. Previously saying, Sacrifice and offering, burnt offerings and offerings for sin you did not desire nor had pleasure in them, which are offered according to the law. Why, uh, let me pause there. Just let me ask: Why did why did God not take pleasure in something He asked them to do? Well, it, it could not accomplish. All of these things were types and shadows of what was to come. All the sacrifices, all the blood sacrifices, were were a pointer pointing to that which was to come: Jesus Christ. And what the law could not do, God did. Through Christ. Remember that. Then he said, Behold, I have come to do your will, O God. He takes away the first, that he may establish the second. Takes away the first what? Covenant. First covenant that he made. And he made a new covenant. We're not going to, if you want to ask me about that later, we, I've, I've talked about this many times. The first covenant and made a new covenant. A new covenant 
And what did Jesus say? This is the blood of the new covenant in my blood. You see, new covenant in Christ. By that will, talking of the will of God, we have been sanctified through the offering of the body of Jesus Christ once for all. And every priest stands ministering daily and offering repeatedly the same sacrifices which can never take away our take away sins. But this man, <laughs> but this man, this Jesus, this Savior, this Redeemer, this man, after he had offered one sacrifice for sins forever, here we have it again, set down at the right hand of God, from that time waiting till his enemies were made his footstool, for by one offering, He has perfected forever those who are being sanctified. The payment, the sacrifice. What's the cost of sin? What's the wage of sin? Death. Death, Romans Romans 6.23. For the wages, the cost of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life in Jesus Christ our Lord. I believe we already read it this morning. Who has sinned? All. All. That was Romans 3.23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But God provided for Himself a lamb, a perfect sacrifice for sin in Jesus Christ, that all who believe in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. That is the gospel. That's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And perhaps no better concise grouping of verses than 1 Corinthians 15. First eight verses. 1 Corinthians 15. It's the Apostle Paul. Moreover, brethren, I declare to you the gospel which I preach to you, which also I received, and in which you and in which you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. That He was buried, that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures, that He was seen by Cephas, then by the twelve. After that, He was seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remained to the present, but some have fallen asleep, some have died since that time. This was written some 30 years after the resurrection, you see. So so what what was he saying? What was Paul saying? There, there was over 500 people in this one group that saw the resurrected Christ. If you don't believe me, there's a bunch of them still walking around here. You go talk to them. Because they saw him and they heard him. Uh, some, of, some people in that 30-year period, some have died, but there's still a lot of them still around. After that, he was seen by James, then by all the apostles. Then last of all, he was seen by me also as by one born out of due time. <laughs> Paul had a miraculous encounter, did he not? The Damascus Road. See, that's the gospel. And all who by faith believe the gospel will be saved. Let's read John 3, verses 14 through 18 one more time. I pray as we read this over and over 
and over again. You know, my prayer, my prayer is that perhaps in the reading of the Word of God, that perhaps He would perform a miracle of salvation. That perhaps even though someone has heard these verses time and time and time again, perhaps today might be that day it comes alive because the Spirit of God has breathed upon them. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, up upon the cross, you see. Why? That whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He who believes in Him is not condemned. Here, now listen, now listen. But he who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. See, Jesus didn't come to condemn the world. The world was already condemned. He came to save. He came to save. Let's read from Romans 10 again one more time. Verses 9 through 13. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised Him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made in the salvation for the Scripture says, whoever believes on Him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord over all is rich to all who call upon Him. For whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. To which someone would would ask me, saved? Saved from what? Well, the world was condemned. And if anyone stays in that condition, they're going to fall under the wrath of God in condemnation and judgment. So what you're going to be saved from is the wrath of God. That's what that's what that's talking about. So by faith, do you believe? Do you believe? Do you believe? Why did He come? On account of sin. Why did He come? To be our propitiation, our ransom. The payment for sin for all who would believe. The blood of Christ is sufficient to save the whole world. It's sufficient enough to save everyone who has ever been born. But it only is effective to those who believe. To those who believe. Word about we've read it, read it, and read it even today for those who believe. So that's why that question is so important because of what Jesus came came to do and why he came. Let, let's close with one more verse. 2 Corinthians 5, verse 21. Perhaps this is a verse we read almost every Sunday as well. For he, for God the Father, made him, Jesus Christ, his only begotten Son, 
who knew no sin to be sin for us. Why did Jesus come? On account of sin. And so God the Father made Him who knew no sin to be sin. Why? That we might become the righteousness of God in Him. That's why He came. So may we share the story. May we share the story of who Jesus Christ truly is. May we share the true reason of why He came and why He was born on this earth that He created. May we tell others of Emmanuel, God with us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we give You thanks for Your Word because it is truth. It is, it is the truth. The truth by which we stand. The, the, the truth by which we have come to know You through Christ. So thank You, Lord, for Your Word. And, and Father, I pray that in the midst of perhaps some rambling that I did today that Lord, just by Your Spirit that You would put things into clarity. That You would cause people to remember what You would have them to remember from this. To remember, most of all, Your Word and Your truth from clearly that was just from Your Word. And Father, I would ask that, that perhaps for someone who has listened even today or perhaps who will listen to this sermon sometime in the future that Lord, that You would perform a miracle of mercy and grace. That by Your great power, by the power of Your Spirit, and by the truth of Your Word, that You would call, call someone by name. Just as, as Jesus called to Lazarus, who was dead in, the, in, in that grave, that You would call and just as Jesus called and life came to Lazarus, Lord, you could call to someone who is dead in their trespasses and sins, and by your effectual, fervent call, you can raise them to spiritual life. And Father, upon being awakened from the dead, Lord, and, and seeing your glory and your holiness, and seeing themselves as a sinner before you, Father, that, that they would recall all of the truth that they've heard. And Lord, to recognize they're in a sinner in need of a Savior, that they would fall before You, Father, crying out, confessing their sins, repenting of their sins, by faith believing, looking to Christ, and confessing Jesus is Lord. And Lord, that they, by Your great power, turn from their sin and for the rest of their days follow Christ. So Lord, have mercy. And Father, for those of us who are believers, who are born again, Father, let us not be silent in proclaiming who our Savior is and of why He came. And let us not be timid in regard to talking about sin. But Lord, help us to speak truth in love.
So, Father, I pray that, that especially this week as we're leading up to the holiday, that you would give us all an opportunity, whether it's in the workplace, whether it's standing in line at Walmart or a grocery store or at the gas pump somewhere, that we would have opportunity to share a truth about Jesus Christ. So, Lord, help us. And help us to never forget. Help us not to all get, get caught up in, in so many other things, but in the midst of it all, to always remember Christ and why He came. That's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Amen.